welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me every week. Alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW match guide as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice. My guest today is Social Suplex Mainstay, Rich Ladder, and we are looking at Kenny Omega vs. Pack from Dynamite, 26th of February 2020, their 30-minute Ironman match. How are you going today, Rich? Oh, I'm pretty good, Sam. Glad to be here talking about uh, a couple of things I, I really am passionate about. AEW, Kenny Omega, Pac, throw them in there too. And, uh, you know, happy to see your show here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. I, I've loved you guys for a while. I've been on a few of your different podcasts. So it, it's good to have finally made the jump. And I knew when I lined you up, I knew it was going to be Kenny Omega. I wanted to do it with you because I know you love Kenny so much. And, and that sort of leans into the first question that I like to ask people here. Um, what's your history with AEW, Rich? Yeah, so um, I'm, I would probably consider myself a day one AEW hardcore fan. Like I wasn't someone that needed to be convinced. I saw the vision from the jump. Uh, I remember uh, hearing the the rumors and the lay of the land in late 2018 and hoping like hell they the elite didn't sign with wwe because i just knew <laughs> it sounded like a setup like with the hey if you don't like it you can leave in six months clauses and all this other shit i was like you know hearing about AEW and jim ross and chris jericho and i was like all right i i know who's really driving my interest in it is the elite happy tony khan saved american wrestling quite frankly like <laughs> and um yeah like i followed these guys i was big on them back since 2016 and new japan followed them through the whole time and um see a lot of the other different wrestlers i, w- I was really big fans of like uh i was a big fan of pack and wwe i remember being at a fcw show in 2013 here in tampa seeing pack slapping fives with him uh so it's awesome to see like where where he came and of course kenny was like headlining the world in 2018 and just quite frankly, like the best year of his career, just like the absolute peak of his athleticism. And it was a time that was uncertain for a lot of people, but not for me. I was like, I'm tying my, my fandom to uh, AEW from, from day one. And it's just like, they reward us right out the gate with double or nothing. And then, you know, all out and they rolled right into TV and really kicked ass ever since. Mm, Yeah. I remember at the time, saying because i i was the same absolutely died in the wool from day one absolutely had faith these guys were going to pull it off and i remember having discussions with people who weren't so familiar with all of the stuff that particularly the elite had done and they were saying how can you have so much faith these guys are going to get it right um this this is just going to be like tna or just going to be like insert whatever stupid Mm -hmm. meme you can think of but I, i just remember in 2018 being so into the stuff they're doing on being the elite particularly with cody particularly with kenny cody and kenny omega at the start of the year and then Mm -hmm. transitioning that into all out and just from there seeing that these guys don't just know how to put on good matches which is what i mean everyone in wrestling knew that they could put on good matches but they because they weren't watching close enough 
and then you know that's fair enough it's this youtube show like they don't have to watch it but they they couldn't see that these guys had all aspects down and dialed in and ready to go and that they understood the creative process so well uh, right. and yeah yeah, yeah. Speaking of Cody and Kenny feud, like there have been few feuds in my adulthood that have like marked me out the way that one did. Like I'm about as hardcore of a Kenny Omega fan as you can get, and like Cody was like the height of frustration, like in oh. in, in the ring, out the ring, just like yeah, hearing the promos, like and just like the the audacity and absurdity of it to me. And then yeah. you know they they did big business in um, two big American cities, like uh, set the gate building record for uh, Cow Palace, and I was actually at the New Orleans uh, one in Ring of Honor, and um, like the crowd was very hot in both. And it was just like, they've got, they've got two slots on the car field. They've got the bucks at least they've got hangman too. So like, I was like the outlines there, they've got Jericho, like, like the outline for greatness is right there. Yeah. And then, yeah, the match that we're discussing today actually comes relatively early in their run. So it's, as I said, 26th of February, 2020. So uh, dynamite's not even been running for six months at this point. Or maybe just a tad over six months, you can do the maths. So, you know, they're, they're still really kind of finding their feet at, at this point, uh, even though creative was really going well at the moment. This was a real early high, this this little stretch they're in. But to introduce this match specifically, Kenny Omega versus Puck in their Iron Man match, it was rated 4.7 by Big Papa Dave, uh, Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer. Grapple, the moment is rated 4.44. Cage match, a 9.2. On wrestling headlines, in the singles match of the year for 2020, it was rated in third. And ultimately, in the definitive AEW match guide, it came in eighth, uh, one of the highest-placing singles matches there. In terms of the actual build-up to this match specifically, of course, Kenny Omega and Pac met for the first time and wrestled for the first time at All Out, where Pac was the last-minute replacement for John Moxley, who had to pull out and recorded an upset over Kenny. He beat him with the Brutalizer, which was Puck's new finishing move that he debuted there. Uh, and Puck, throughout the early days of Dynamite, would continue to assault Kenny Omega, even throughout Omega's program with John Moxley. There'd be times where Puck would involve himself, just sort of a real agent of, of chaos there. And he would be someone who would dog Omega, Omega and him would then meet up again after Omega had lost to Moxley and Omega would get the win. So they would be 1-1 and they would be even. And even though uh, Park went on to have a contenders match against John Moxley after he lost that, he once again saw Kenny Omega as his way back to the top of the company uh, and would attack Michael Nakazawa backstage, threaten Riho to try and get this match with Omega Simultaneously, Omega had won the tag titles and was entering into a feud with the Bucks. So there was sort of a lot of things going on here. Got Kenny Omega trying to focus on multiple things at once, really trying to focus on the tag team, but having his attention pulled by this agent of chaos, Park, who's just <clears throat> delivering these really fiery promos at the time uh, and doing all sorts of dastardly things to try and get Omega's attention and work his way up the singles rating rankings. Rich, for this match in particular, if you cast your mind back, what did you think of the build-up for it? So I thought it was a very kind of unique build-up because 
it clearly wasn't the priority of Kenny Omega. It was like this thing that was pulling at him that he was, it was, it was like narratively like he's in the tag team dealing with like his friends, like breaking down around him. And he's having a lot of difficulty with that. But on the other hand, his professional pride is being challenged elsewhere. And there's a lot of people asking, when are we going to see the, the Kenny Omega from new Japan and pack, it allows him to be that Kenny Omega, like away from the um, title picture, because I, I think in now in a meta sense, like he's there obviously hiding in the tag team division because they want to keep him fresh as a single. But Kenny is a guy as proved by this belt collector run. Like he has a big appetite. He, like he has to be able to really express himself creatively and outside of his main focus, which was the tag stuff. Pack was another way for him to express himself creatively. And for pack, it was a um, thing to keep him at the forefront of uh, everyone's mind like hey this is not a junior heavyweight anymore this is not someone that was um, ducked off in 205 live this guy is somebody like that the company really values believes in as a worker was a champion in dragon gate and we're going to treat him with a certain level of respect by always tethering him to a guy like kenny omega because we know both of them uh at this point had two great matches that submission shock was like one of the most shocking results i remember at the time and it was just like i think that was a uh, big for aw letting people know anything can happen anyone can lose like no one's exempt like this isn't a um you know well i think that quelled a lot of people that oh the elite are just gonna beat everybody and i <laughs> i'm like man you guys you guys just don't know him like <laughs> and yeah um, this isn't jeff jarrett rolling over everyone Correct. And then I really Uh, like I really liked their rematch too. And it was like their the rematch I think is like the slept on match. Like it was the day before Thanksgiving, I believe, in Chicago. And it was just like a quaint, nice T V match. And then this one was like, okay, we know that they're gonna get time and then they presented this match unlike almost anything they did to that point. Like the only thing you could argue was like Phoenix and Nick Jackson. And this was like double the length of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll pull the reins up there before we get into the actual match. I, I did want to bring something up and you, you did reference it and park actually references it in one of his promos. Uh, he says, the word is that you've lost a step, Kenny. And that was some of the discourse at the time. And, you know, they did have the two matches earlier, but I think it's fair to say, and both of us are big Kenny Omega fans, they weren't the absolute blowaway classics that we probably hoped they weren't. And Kenny Omega wasn't quite on, you know, like his 2018 G1 form where he's just blowing the roof off every single night. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there's a lot of people tuning in who are like, who's this mythic god of wrestling that we've been told about? Where's the New Japan Kenny Omega? What What did you think of that discourse at the time, Rich? I thought it was horseshit, honestly. Um, I, I thought some of it was, was presented in bad faith. I thought what he was yeah. doing was I thought he built the singles division of main eventers like by losing to Jericho, losing to Pac, losing to Moxley, losing to Moxley and then yep. allowed all those guys to kind of flourish. And then what he did was jump into tag team and start essentially creating hangman like for the Mm -hmm. for the mass audience so like i thought he had different goals at the time like obviously we knew in this match would show people would live and die with kenny omega as a baby face and i had no worries whatsoever i was like Mm -hmm. what do you mean that guy's not in there i'm like around this time i was still adding up 
pretty much their their outputs like anybody in the company he was still the best wrestler in the company by far and it was it was just something like when you're a kenny omega fan you learn what to kind of tune out and what to like actually pay attention to and that fell under the tune out folder <laughs> yeah the Maybe you get muted on Twitter for that for a little bit if you <laughs> for that take. Um, so yeah, look, and and I, I just wanted to add, I loved Pack at this point. We, we will talk about Pack in sort of the the blow up of this match and you know what's happened and what where this match fits for him in AEW. He's had a bit of a tinged by bad luck run. I loved him at this at this point. His promos were just so fiery and so dark and gritty and grimy. And as I said, he was just this agent of chaos who would show up, who would, you know, take somebody's head off. He would go to any means to get what he wanted. Uh, I really loved him at this point. Uh, and I loved this version of his character, which, you know, uh, I ha- I can't not say is an extension of the character that he had in 205 Live, which was such a good little mm-hmm. run that he had in WWE that I doesn't get – the, the doesn't knee. get the respect that it deserves yeah uh and then he he went to dragon gate of course and but yeah look this is a great version of his character i just could not let it go without mentioning that yeah um, yeah like get into the match like like he was a he was a dude that came out in the first press conference as well in his ring gear ready to go um swolled <laughs> up shredded as shredded um in I think Pac has he's one of the best wrestlers going and this was another opportunity for him to show that. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's let's get into the match. Uh it kicked off dynamite. Uh so it was the first match of the night. Both men got big introductions. Uh Kenny was wearing these really nice white tights which I think it was the first time he first had time. worn them. Yeah, yep. and and these have become big match tights for him. Uh-huh. <laughs> he only busts out the white tights for for certain at certain points. Um, Rich, what did you think of this one going first, and just sort of the the overall presentation for this match? I thought it was um, a great call. <clears throat> Remembering this show, this was in Kansas City. Um, this is the the last show before Revolution, and AEW's coming yep. off this insane stretch, like just some of the best television you've ever seen. And it was like, I felt like they were like, let's throw the format out. Like, let's not wait until the main event. Let's go ahead give it to them right off the, the rip. AW is known to put like a really great match out first anyway. So it fit into that. And I, I liked the, the choice for it to open because you got to do pretty much everything you, you wanted to do with only one commercial break. Yeah, it was a, a very smart move, and it yeah, as as you said, it really fits the template that they've had, where they often have that that absolute real banger early on, uh, and having such a big and long match early is something that they've you know more recently gone to as a as a way to one draw people in, but also two do these really high profile really high profile singles matches with minimal advertising, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, absolute win for the fans. Um, so that can only be a good thing. I watch on fight TV anyway, so <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> nice. doesn't matter too much for me, but as I said, big introductions for them early on, just really spotless, immaculate chain wrestling, as you would expect. I loved in particular that pack specifically developed a submission to counter the one winged angel. Uh, and he's, you know, constantly working to get that. Um, so Kenny, he's the first one to hit any sort of really big move. He hits a tope uh, to the outside and clearly is the early leader in the match, hitting Pack with 
a number of big moves, Kataro Crusher, Dragon Suplex, and it's just just so effortless. These two have just absolutely immaculate chemistry. We we mentioned it before. At this point, I think these two were the best, by far the best workers in the in the roster. If you wanted to put on a match like this, then then these were the two guys to get it done. Barring the guys like Phoenix who were in the tag divi- embedded in the tag division at the time, these were the singles workers that you'd put out there for something like yeah. this. There's one particularly effortless string. So they're both outside. Pack jumps onto the apron, flips off it. Kenny catches him, goes for something, but Pack completely reverses it into a DDT on the outside. It's just so crisp, so smooth, so good to watch. They get back in the ring. Has a really, really steep angled avalanche brain buster off the off the top rope. And it's like this is no superplex. This is this is something different. We're we're yeah. trying to put your head through the canvas here. And Park sort of gets arrests that momentum back. He he has this beautiful way of moving slowly and then snapping. I kind of liken it to being like a predator. He slowly lines up his target and then just bang hits it with absolute precision and explosiveness. As I said, look, <laughs> I've got it written down so many times. Just effortless wrestling by these two. One thing that stood out for me was um, the pace. The first 14 minutes of this match was like just nothing you've ever seen at the time. Yeah, it was like they were emptying the gun immediately. I just remember liking the strikes a lot. I remember the Bucks seconding Kenny um, to the ring, which is always a sign that like some shit's coming. Like and like there's it's it's just a classic thing. And these guys they use like a novelty DQ and took like, um, like a trope of Iron Man matches. I normally hate, but made it actually kind of like work with how they were protecting both guys at the time, um, which I really enjoyed. But yeah, one thing that I, that instantly stands out is the pace and how fast the match was. Yeah. These two are just so athletic and explosive in the way they do everything. There's the way that most wrestlers sell, uh, and it's always looks good. But then there's the way that like these guys sell, and they like f- hurl themselves. They don't just fall on the canvas. They hurl themselves, and they contort their bodies, and they explode into the cell. And it just gives everything such an explosive feeling. It makes the opponent's offense look extra devastating, but it adds to that freneticism and that athleticism and that pace to the match that you you know you're talking about. And and this one. I think this match just accelerated really well early on. Both men, you know, started out with that chain wrestling and then worked into those those bigger moves. That's classic wrestling, but the way that they did it was just so masterful. Uh, I, I did want to bring time, up. I was going to say, okay. I remember at the time, the last Iron Man match I had seen before this was Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler. And mm. that match kind of like... I think they overbooked that one and got too cute. So this was a stark contrast to that. It was like, yo, this is more about the wrestling than the multiple fluky finishes that ended up happening in weird layout, like putting the the baby face up three to one and um, just weird stuff like that. So it, it was just the, they used the, the correct amount of falls, especially like in comparison to when the falls happen um, in the match. Yeah, I actually like that match, the one you're referencing, but I understand the criticism to it. Like, when you've got guys like this, if you're wrestling a half-hour match, they shouldn't be having, you know, seven falls in it because these guys in a normal singles match, they'll go for 20 minutes, only have one fall. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, you you can't get too cutesy with it, even when you've got a crowd that is 
on your side and this crowd's into this match and is going with them and letting them tell the story they want to tell. But, you know, even then you can't be too cutesy with, with that sort of thing and, and take for granted the, the sort of tropes of the match that you're getting in. You mentioned the DQ. So um, the way that they do it is is Park, he gets frustrated because Kenny is getting the upper hand. Uh, he takes out a chair, hits Kenny with the chair, gets disqualified, but then as soon as the bell rings, he drags Kenny in for his um, black arrow and gets a second fall. So it, 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 the first fall, 1-0 due to the DQ, and then immediately levels it up 1-1. One, one. You, you sort of mentioned you didn't mind it here. I know that I've seen some criticism of this sort of trope, that a DQ is you know a bit of a cheap way to do it. What is the reason that these – because I agree with you, but what is the reason that it works in this match? I think it was – it also works. It was the first DQ in the history of the promotion. So it was yeah. like a uh, – kind of like a wrench and like it was like a novelty kind of. So I thought it was mm-hmm. cool from that sense. And then the way Pac was – um, we knew it wasn't just about it being one one because the mm. the type of killer and, and animal that he had been like Kenny's like wounded at this point and he could be in real danger and go down two one three one four one in the aftermath of it. Yeah, and and that's what in this sequence that is what Park is obviously going for. He he get immediately gets that black arrow to to level it up one one uh, and then goes for another black arrow um, which Kenny just gets out of the way of, but. Kenny is beaten down. He's getting brutalized. <laughs> well, not the submission, but he's getting beaten down by Puck fighting on the apron. There's this crazy spot where Puck hits a falcon arrow off the apron onto the outside. And, of course, you can't get the pin on the outside, but it, it's huge and Kenny looks completely dead. But the interesting narrative is, as I said, Puck got desperate to get that, get that chair shot and level it up 1-1. After this doesn't work immediately and Kenny is able to just manage to hold on uh, and keep from losing another fall, Puck does start to get more and more desperate, gets out of table, looking absolutely crazed, goes for a shooting star press from the turnbuckle through a table to the outside, absolute madman, and they have a really close double countout. And Matt Jackson ends up throwing Kenny Omega back in the ring the interesting wrinkle, we we sort of didn't mention it really, was that at that moment, Kenny was in a <laughs> embroiled in a in a rivalry with the Young Bucks for the tag right. team straps uh straps. So so having that happen is it, it's an interesting sort of wrinkle and it, it shows the way that AEW books and and treats its characters where these guys aren't one-dimensional characters, you know, like you can have more than one relationship going at once right and you can have complex relationships as well where like you are two two really close friends that are in a rivalry that's getting heated and this one was getting really heated but at the same time you still have love and respect for each other and you'll still second the guy to the ring for another match and help him help him with that although you could say and I think one of the commentators even says this is that like he's getting thrown in almost for more punishment as well so <laughs> yeah yeah um i i I mentioned the the buck second and kenny because like that's kind of like a underrated part of a lot of the big kenny omega matches like i feel like uh between the bucks and kenny they're all like great wrestling minds and um i remember hearing stories about how uh nick jackson would basically describe 
Kenny telling him the entire layout of uh, Okada Omega like the night before it happens. And he's like, yeah, man, that sounds like a match of the year. So it's like it's it's like they're literally his coaches when when he's out there. And I just think that's that's a really cool thing. And this was like the first time it happened in AEW. I don't know yeah. if it's happened since, honestly, like as far as like, you know, the pure seconding, like I'm not talking about like them running in and shit like that. Like I wanted the Bucks to second uh, Kenny against Danielson last week. But mm, it was callous, so. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if, if that's happened since then. I can't think of any. Jeez, imagine if uh, this didn't happen, but imagine if when Kenny and, and Hangman were having their one-on-one match. Imagine if the Bucks had seconded them. <laughs> you know, that's, that was, that was, was a deep was, point of contention, like on yeah, being the elite. Like yeah, the, the, the yeah. Bucks told, one of the reasons. told Hangman, like, we only second one wrestler. Like, yeah. it ain't you. Not you. Not you. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Um, anyway, yeah. Look, as, as I said, Park is getting a bit desperate and is pissed at this point, particularly when Mac Jackson throws Kenny back in to avoid Omega getting counted out. Pack goes for another Black Arrow, but in the time that he spends setting that up, Kenny gets his knees up, and then that's when Kenny starts to fire up, gets a huge V trigger. One of these V triggers is actually the logo that we used for the original match guide countdown that you can read <laughs> on wrestling headlines. I, I couldn't pinpoint exactly which one, but there's a number of really snug V triggers that, that get done here. There's no one, no one hits these knees. A lot of wrestlers try and hit these knees. No one hits it like Kenny Omega does. And we start to get the one winged angel sequences, which is when a Kenny Omega match is really, really heating up and really cooking with gas. Pat counters one into a poison Rana. He counters one into a brutalizer, gets the brutalizer in with two minutes, 30 to go. Rich, was there any point in this match where you thought, Oh geez, Pac might just pull this one out. This one might not be one for the good guys. Yeah. I I was terrified pretty much from the, uh, the point that the DQ and the black arrow on, like it was like totally up in the air because I'm thinking, well, why would Kenny win? He's, um, you know, he's got this whole tag team thing still going here. Um, and this was just a battle of equals at this point. Yeah. And as I said, Puck locks in the brutalizer with two minutes, 30 to go. And they remain in it pretty much until the end of the match. Like mm-hmm. anyone who says that Kenny Omega, the well, Kenny Omega is the one that gets it. I've never really heard it leveled at Pac too much, but it's the styles that these guys have that sort of light heavyweight style that <laughs> gets done up into the, the, you know, that frenetic athletic style. That it's all spot fest, no psychology. These guys are selling this for two minutes at the end of the match and the crowd's going mental, going bananas. Living you know, and dying. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get Kenny to not tap out. And I love the way they're struggling against this. You, you can see, like, you know, with the Boston Crab or the Sharpshoot, you can see them, like, walking to the ropes, and you just take it because it's like, well, it's wrestling. It's like an Irish rip. Mm-hmm. You know, you just take that that's happening. But that's not what these guys are doing. These guys are rolling around like it's a jiu-jitsu match. They're trying to get to the ring, struggling, and, and they Kenny's, like, putting Park in a different angle to try and minimize the hold. It's really, really smart submission wrestling, which is not something you think of when you think of Kenny Omega, but it just goes to show how good this guy is. And the countdown that they've got at the end, it works so well. Park has the brutalizer on, but can't get it done. They ring the bell. It's one all. And the ref, the, they uh, announce extra time. Park is pissed at this. <laughs> he decks the referee. 
And when they're going into sudden death, Kenny hits two V triggers, a Kamagoye and the one winged angel for the win. Crowd's so into it. Rich, at the time, you thought very highly of this match. We've gone through it, but just give me your overall impressions of, of what you thought about it at the time. Yeah, I, I thought it was a direct message to the non-believers in both mm. of these guys, actually. And I was five stars on it, and I was out on Twitter arguing with Stat Guy Gray the next day, who was, was a killjoy for uh, anything that has to do with <laughs> AEW and probably still proceeds to this day. I don't know. We don't follow each other anymore. But, yeah, this was like – it was a perfect reminder – of who Kenny Omega was. And it was like, just be patient. Like there's a whole thing going with the tag thing. And it ironically, it led to the greatest match in the promotions history, uh, much like days later. Um, I think that this was needed at the time because there were a lot of like cool, different angles going on. Like Cody and Wardlow, uh, happened like maybe the week before this, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The Um, week before this had a card that was, the the tag team battle royale yep. it had John Moxley versus Jeff Cobb it had <laughs> the Bucks it had up Kenny and Kenny and Page versus the Lucha Bros yep. and it had the cage match with Cody and Wardlow like some people say that's the greatest dynamite ever oh I mean uh, you'd be hard pressed to argue really like I mean there's other ones that are right up there you know we we may have watched one just this week. Um, right. <laughs> given given the date we're watching, we're, we're recording this, but as you said, there's a lot going on at the so, moment at that time. So like with this with this match, like um, you've got John Moxley and Chris Jericho, and like more like a traditional kind of like karate story, I would say. Like, but like they're not, they're not giving you like the super like the match of the year level type matches. No. They're, they're giving no. you like uh, an incredibly well done like TV story. So like mm. this coming out is just like. I think it's a it's a flashing reminder to say, hey, uh, Kenny's time's coming. Pac's always going to be a uh, maintain a certain level of credibility, so you don't have to worry about him either. And Pac was a faction leader less than like three weeks after this match, and they mm. linked him <laughs> with uh, Pentagon and Phoenix. And this was like really w- one of the last great singles matches before the world shut down. Yeah, it's crazy to think like. Four weeks after this, we were in. We we're going into lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was revolution. Not even, not even four weeks. It was three weeks afterwards. They had that. They had their first empty arena show. Uh, and what a way to go out, I guess. If you get, you know, thinking about it now. After this match, I was, I was blown away by this match. I was so excited for it. I so the way that I watch Dynamite, it, it actually happens during the day here in Australia. So I'm at work and I try feverently to avoid spoilers. And on certain days, uh, I'll actually uninstall Twitter off my phone <laughs> just because sometimes you just naturally like just force of oh I've, I've I've turned off all notifications, but sometimes just through force of habit. You, you know, you'll be just having some downtime. You're like, oh, I wonder what's going on Twitter. Just flick it open, not even thinking, oh, I'm going to get spoiled here and open it and spoil yourself on something. This was one of the times where I uninstalled the app because I was just so, so excited for this match and hate out with spades. I love the way, as I said, this was just so seamless, but also incredibly smart in the way they did it. And I was not expecting it to finish with them locked in a submission uh, and then going to extra time 
even though, you know, that's just a classic Iron Man thing, it, it just popped me that they were going to do that. And then, of course, Kenny getting the win. I was big. I'm a big Kenny Omega fan still to this day uh, and was at the time. So so seeing him win, that was made me very happy. And it only made in the in the actual canon of the story only made pack even more desperate immediately after this they set up the match with orange cassidy that he would have at revolution of course literally days later kenny omega goes on in his partnership with hangman page to have one of the greatest tag team matches of all time it's the number one rated match in the match guide that we did by a long way you know it was the match of the year for most promotions and this is just days after having this absolute blow away match Interestingly, they they did lean into this match. This match had an effect on that one in that, you know, Kenny was weakened and some of the desperation from Hangman was due to Kenny not necessarily being in the greatest shape because he'd just gone half an hour with, you know, one of the other best wrestlers on the planet. I don't want to go too into that, but Rich, what did you think of the direct aftermath of this match and, and how they sort of built off it? I thought it was it was a really cool storytelling device for the match because ultimately this side thing that Kenny was doing led into Hangman thinking Kenny wasn't taking his team seriously enough. It led into just enough vulnerability. I remember picking the Bucks at the time to win. But yeah, I, I think it, it was a nice piece of storytelling. And then, you know, you look back when the work is done and it's like, wow, those two matches in a couple of days, what a hell of a week. Mm, yeah <laughs> most most wrestlers would go their whole career and not have two matches like that and kenny right. Omega does it in one week crazy uh in terms of the actual legacy <clears throat> for this match so moving on from the you know the immediate aftermath and everything i've got a few questions i wanted to sort of ask you the first one is was this the pinnacle for pack in AEW? I would say it is um, like I don't think he's he's got a chance to shine as much in a high end level as this one. He's uh, an incredible like TV wrestler. Like when you're talking about your standard like 10, 12 minute match, like you need somebody to have to do something great. He can give it to you. But this one uh, is, has been like his real high point. He's unfortunately been been struck with a lot of travel issues at different times and difficulty getting in and out of the country with like COVID and everything like that. So I don't think he's regained his, um, his singles form to that extent. He did, uh, have a championship match with Pat or with Kenny and Arch Cassidy at double or nothing this year, which was really great as well. Uh, but just strictly as like the scariest pack has ever felt the most, I think high profile he's ever felt was this match right here. Yeah, I I think this is the part this is the character for Pac that worked the best. I love as I said I love Pac and he's been in some great matches since like I think of some of the tag team matches he's had um, alongside either of the Lucha Bros, you know, the Triple Threat, we're talking about that Triple Threat from Double or Nothing this year 2021. But I think this is the character that works best for Pac. I don't know if character-wise he hits so well as a face. Because he's still doing a lot of the stick that made this so good, but because he can't be just like a complete bastard, because he's, you know, he's he's theoretically meant to be getting cheered, he, he, you know, he can't really get into the absolute grime and the depths of this character that he had at this point. And, you know, I, I wonder, I hope he gets back to this level because they've got a hell of a roster now, and he's someone that can be used to really 
elevate guys like Brian Danielson, give him another couple of matches. Not that, you know, Brian Danielson needs too much elevating, but, you know, give him a couple more matches against guys like Parker Andrade or, you know, whoever whoever you want to throw out there. But Parker in particular, given the, the subject matter, and that's only going to make him look even better and better. I, I kind of like the, the face role for Pat because, like, I've always thought he's had electric offense. Like, I, I like him mm. being a heel, and I like, you know, the the slowed down stuff sometimes. But sometimes I want to see Pat just go crazy at the peak of his athletic gifts yeah. while he still has them. So um, yeah. I think that working in that style in his mid to early to mid 30s like with the with the heel stuff probably saved him a little bit for now when he's turning face um being the age he is now the the wear and tear he can do mm. a little bit of you know the the adrian neville um stuff that, that i used to love <laughs> you know ropw but the, um, the defying gravity yeah yes um but and you can flip him on a dime because he's so strong and respected um, to where yep. if you flip him on a dime, they have a bunch of new baby faces that all need a great match. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. I think it's partly I just love the I love the grimy, vicious, dark heels. Like uh, as much as Pentagon is great as a face for the, exactly the same reason that you you mentioned. I love him as a heel. Like this just vicious, grimy, really d- dastardly heel who's like a predator almost. I just love that as a character, even though, you know, when it comes to getting it done in the ring, particularly with the way they can go, perhaps they are better us. They are better suited to to the face side of things. So uh, to to move on from Park in particular, on to Kenny Omega. As we said, we're we're big fans of Kenny Omega here, and even even by our estimation, he wasn't hitting on the same level in early Dynamite, early AEW. He wasn't hitting on quite the same level he had previously, saying. 2018, I just seen that G1 run in 2018 uh, as being just insane. <clears throat> Where do you think this match ranks in Kenny Omega's broader legacy and, and broader catalogue of matches that he's had? In AEW or, or both, beyond? Both. Okay. Uh, I would say it's towards the, the very top in AEW. And the other matches that come to mind are like, you know, him and Ray Phoenix, uh, him, the tag team match, the... Uh, match he had this week with Danielson and his overall legacy. I think it's just another great five-star match. As crazy as that sounds. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like there's his, his great rivalry with Naito to consider. There's obviously the Okada series to consider his Ishii series to consider. So this one, this just adds to like, when you hear he has blank amount of like, you know, five-star level matches, this is just one of them. I hate mm-hmm. to say it like that and sound like cocky about it or um, or lift him to. But this is just the level of wrestler that we're dealing with. And like and I would encourage people to check like sites like Cage Match and Grapple and see what a lot of people are saying about this stuff. I don't just speak from a point of, hey, I'm a big Kenny Omega fan and this is the definitive amount of number he has. Oh, this is what people are saying. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I say move with the current. Don't go against it. There's a great quote in the Street Fighter movie by uh, M. Bison where he goes, you know, he's conquering a village and he goes, for you, this is the most important day of your life. For me, it's just Tuesday. And for Kenny Omega, it's like, for you, this is the best match you're ever going to have in your life. And for me, it's just Wednesday. (laughs) Right. It's a bit like that. Yeah, like I was trying to think of where I'd rank this and I'm like, you know, within AEW, it is a bit more few and far between because they really have minimized his singles action there's various reasons for that but within his broader catalog again once you start looking at like 
G1 runs and and stuff like that. There's so many incredible matches out there that he's had that it is difficult. I I, want to talk about like as a baby face. I think it's like a uh, it's like a Pantheon level match for him as a baby face. I'll say that. Mm. Yeah, particularly, I think one of the things that this showed, as I said, that I I hadn't necessarily seen from him as much outside of, you know, obviously there's just the epics with Okada, which show the struggle because they're just so exhausted at the end. But particularly the way that these guys struggled in that submission at the end, I hadn't seen that sort of thing from Kenny Omega before where they're just, you know, really grinding a submission. Maybe if he had a match with ZSJ, now he, he may have something similar, a sequence similar like that. But at the time, and and even to today, I haven't seen him have that sort of a, a real struggle for. It was two and a half minutes where they're they're having like a jujitsu match in with Park's brutalizer to to wind down the clock on this, and the crowd is just so into it. And and I could see them, you know, if he has another match with Danielson, they they could definitely run a similar spot to that uh, yeah. if they wanted to. And then lastly, look, I, I think just to bring this back to the match guy that we we're talking about, uh, that we that I picked all of these matches from, um, which we did on Wrestling Headlines a number of months ago, and you can check out on that site. This was the fourth-ranked singles match. It was behind Cody versus Dustin, behind <laughs> Britt versus Thunder Rosa, and, behind, uh, and also behind John Moxley versus Kenny Omega from Full Gear. Where do you think this this ranks as a singles match for in AEW? I'll just say this: I respect those 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 votes that that led to that, and you know, I was like, go with the current. But I'm gonna disagree on this one. I think Kenny Omega's in possibly three of the four, maybe five best matches, singles matches under promotion, and I think the only competition for this match, truthfully, is Phoenix and Nick Jackson, Danielson and Omega. Omega and Phoenix and there's this like when you're talking about one-on-one matches and I wouldn't have I would have put this match on top of all those other ones that's why yeah I these this one's very different to those ones like with Cody versus Dustin you've got you know this real throwback to this sort of 80s southern brawl that's just blood soaked and full of heart and fire yeah. but you know it's not it's not trying to do anything groundbreaking in the ring and then Britt and Thunder Rosa, I think, gets as much credit for being almost this moment for the women's division uh, right. as it does for an actual match. Not to say this match wasn't, you know, we're talking about the very pinnacle of matches here. I'm not saying it's a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. It's fantastic. Like, I I also rank that very highly. Um, but it's, it's, you know, a very different style of match to this, which is a very classic Iron Man match that's you know focusing on the work, focusing on the athletic contest between that's these always going to go a little bit farther. People who are in their prime, yeah, yeah, and look, that's fair enough. It's a, it is partly a matter of taste, but also I think to a degree there is a there is a high difficulty level with this. I think of I remember talking to actually I think I was talking to you about it at the time. Uh, this was back when Cody Rhodes was. It was really hitting as a main eventer in the end of at the end of 20, 2019. Mm-hmm. And and we we're talking about, you know, why having matches with interference and, and lots of blood and stuff, why it shouldn't be as highly regarded critically as say something like this. And I think I what it is is that those I think what you said and, and put it very eloquently is that those are like almost cheat codes to like step things up. Whereas if you're doing things like Puck and, and Kenny did 
you've just got to do it all by yourself. You don't have interference. You don't have other things that can pop pop the crowd or immediately gain some emotional investment. It's mm-hmm. just purely what you can do in the ring. Yeah, they ring the bell, like Adam Cole once said. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the questions I've got. Was there anything else you wanted to add at the end here, Rich, about this match? Yeah, I remember writing at the time. Um, we did our on One Nation Radio. We do our ten best matches of the year. Uh, we we do promotion by promotion. Then we do our overall list. Kind of. Uh, this was number four on my list for 2020. The only step matches I had ahead of it were Okada and Ibushi, Walter and Dragunov, and um, Omega and Page versus the Young Bucks, and then it was this. It's um, a pretty good company. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, uh, when will we see the Kenny Omega from New Japan? Was something early in 2020 we often heard is Kenny was square in the middle of teaming with Hangman Page and reigning as the promotion's second tag team champions. The deciding match in the first series between Pac and Omega came down to this Iron Man match in Kansas City where they had the best Iron Man match ever televised and perhaps the greatest match to ever air on Turner Network television. Each man is arguably the other's best in AEW. And this featured a blistering pace that had me in sheer amazement through the first 14 minutes and even a novelty DQ that added another layer to the action. Like Hart and Michaels before them, they used the overtime period for the finish but exceeded them with the intense compacted action over the 30 minutes and 58 minute run or 58 second runtime. You don't see television wrestling or many matches in general reach this level. Yep. I I couldn't agree more with that. I on re-watching this match, it did not lose anything for me. I already ranked this very highly. It was right; it's still right up there. Watching this, if anything, it only gave me a greater appreciation for what these two did in the ring. Uh, I'm I'm happy to leave it at that. If you're happy to leave it at that, Rich, give us your plugs. Tell us where the good people can find you. Sure, man. Um, you guys can find me at richlatter 32 on Twitter. Uh, I've been sending a lot of tweets out, getting a lot of likes lately. Appreciate that. Um, you guys can check out One Nation Radio here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network uh, with my host, uh, my co-host James Boyd. We talk about AW, we talk about stardom, and the big news in wrestling and you know rap and whatever else comes to mind in, <laughs> in life. So, it's a grab bag uh, sometimes. Yep, it's great. Yep. Definitely check it out. <laughs> Uh, and look, you can follow me, Sir underscore Samuel, on Twitter. Uh, as I said at the start, if you did enjoy what you've listened to today, please subscribe. And if you are on a podcast platform that has reviews, please give it a review. That would be most appreciated. And hit me up on Twitter if you've got any opinions on this. I'd love to. I love to chat in depth about these matches. Um, that's the reason I started this podcast. That's the reason I do it. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for coming along today, Rich. I really appreciate having you on. Oh, man, glad to join. Glad to have you here. Excellent. And we will see you again next week for another match from the AEW Definitive Match Guide. for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. 
Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.